0: It's time for Sorallo Sports Talk with Joe Sorallo. All right, here we go. It's time for Serralo Sports Talk with me, Joe Serralo. You're locked into the Believe Hour for the next hour with me here on Sports Map Radio, taking you right up to Puck Drop. That's right, I'm used to taking you up to Tip Off. Last couple shows have led right into the NBA Conference Finals, and then last week, Game One of the NBA Finals. This time around tonight, leading you right up to Game Five of the Eastern Conference Finals, the Tampa Bay Lightning, the New York Rangers, And with that series knotted up at two apiece, headed back to Madison Square Garden, you know that my city, New York City, is going to be absolutely electric and uncontained for this Game 5. We've got a great show planned ahead. Speaking of my city, of New York City, of New York heroes, Super Bowl 42 hero David Tyree is going to be joining the show later on. I can't wait the Nine-year-old 2007 Giants fan in me is absolutely over the moon, ecstatic for that interview. We're talking about last night's Game 3 of the NBA Finals. Of course, right after this next commercial break, it'll be all over Game 3 and looking ahead to Game 4 with the Boston Celtics taking a convincing 2-1 lead over the Warriors. And this week, when we look around the MLB, last two weeks I've talked about the Dominance of the two coasts, the East Coast, New York Yankees, New York Mets, the LA Dodgers, and the LA Angels dominating baseball. My oh my, how the tables have turned for the Los Angeles Angels. Went from 27 and 17 to 27 and 31, where they stand today. Losers of 14 straight, with none other than the New York Mets coming to town for a weekend series as the Mets conclude what I would consider to be so far a fairly successful. West Coast Road Trip. I mean, yes, they're three and four, but when you consider they're without Jake DeGrom, without Max Scherzer, and Pete Alonso and Starling Marte went down in that Padre series, I'd say the Mets are holding their own against some of the toughest competition in baseball. I can't wait to get to all of it with you and more right here on the Believe Hour. That's Believe, B L E A V. Check us out at Believe.com and stick with me, Joe Serralo, on this episode of Serralo Sports Talk right here on Sports Map Radio. Here we go, back here on Sorallo Sports Talk with me, Joe Sorallo. You're joining me here for the Believe Hour on Sports Map Radio as I take you right up to puck drop of that all-exciting Game 5 coming up at Madison Square Garden. The Tampa Bay Lightning and the New York Rangers evened out at two wins apiece so far in this Eastern Conference Finals. But before we get into this Game 5, we've got a Game 3 on our hands last night that we've got to discuss and that is over in the nba finals between the golden state warriors and the boston celtics and if you think that anyone other than marcus smart was your player of the game in game three then i've got to be the first one to tell you that you were mistaken. But before we dive into why Marcus Smart was the most important player on the court, I've gotta remind you like I do every week for behind the scenes footage of Sorallo Sports Talk of myself, make sure you go hit me up on the socials. That's at Joe Seralo on Instagram, at the Joe on Twitter and on TikTok. And if you're wondering why I sound a little bit hoarse this week on this episode, well, you'll be able to figure that one out by going and checking me out on Instagram because I have still not recovered from a wild weekend in Pacific Beach. This is what happens when you are new to the West Coast and your old high school buddies from New York come to visit. You go down to San Diego and things go down, and four days later, you still don't have a voice. But game three of the NBA Finals, that's what we're here to talk about, folks. And Marcus Smart, I cannot stress this enough, he was the most important player on the court in game three. It was not Jason Tatum. It was not Jalen Brown, despite the otherworldly 17-point first half performance that Jalen Brown turned in, or rather 17-point first quarter performance. I believe he had 20 at halftime. Jalen Brown was MIA in the second half. It was not Steph Curry and his 31 on 6 of 11 shooting from beyond the arc to take home the Game 3 player of the game honors. No, Marcus Smart. Stop me if if you've heard me say this one before. Marcus Smart is the most important player on the court for the Boston Celtics at any given time this postseason. Look, I know he's the defensive player of the year, right? We've talked about his defense for years now. We've talked about it all season, certainly all postseason. But Marcus Smart, this postseason has been a more electrifying, more consistent, and overall more important offensive player than he has been throughout any other point in his NBA career. Yes, the defense has been phenomenal. And we're going to get to just how incredible, how sensational his defense was last night in game three. But his offense, his offense was otherworldly. I mean, he had 24 points in game three, seven boards, five assists, just, you know, and that's not even touching on his defense just yet. A well-rounded, really as great a game as you could play by Marcus Smart. How about the fact that, He had the same plus-minus differential, almost identical, to Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown combined. Tatum and Brown combined, plus 20 on the court. Marcus Smart alone, plus 19. If that doesn't show you his value right there, I mean, the only guy for either squad who had a better plus-minus was Robert Williams. And Robert Williams, I mean, I'm going to get to him. The sensational game he had, why he's everything Draymond Green wishes He's been this series. We're going to get to Robert Williams, what he did. But Marcus Smart, how about the fact that after Golden State took a brief 83-82 lead, they came out storming in that third quarter, went up with about 345 to go in the third quarter. Marcus Smart answered with a three, went on to hit three of his four three-pointers in the final 16 minutes of play and drop 11 of his 24 points in those final 16 minutes. You see, it wasn't just that Marcus scored 24, that he hit four three-pointers. It was the fact that he did it all when it mattered most because the Boston Celtics, stop me if you've heard this one before, the Boston Celtics almost choked game three away, right? This is something that we've seen before. We saw it against the Miami Heat a couple times. We saw it against the Milwaukee Bucks in that game five that should have, should have, could have, would have, almost, Turned the entire tide of that series in the Bucks' favor. The Celtics have gone out, have jumped out to some big leads this postseason, and squandered them in the third quarter. And they almost did the same exact thing last night, and if it wasn't for Marcus Smart single-handedly not allowing that to happen, the Celtics would be down two-one at home going into Game Four. Golden State came out rip-roaring, shooting lights out in that third quarter. Klay Thompson. Couldn't really find a stroke early on. Had an abysmal first quarter. Quarters two and three. Klay Thompson was draining it from beyond the arc. But Marcus Smart answered him. Smart didn't just play lockdown D. He was able to go shot for shot. But let's give the defense some credit. Because on three-pointers that the Golden State Warriors attempted, that Marcus Smart was defending, the Warriors went 0 for 9. So yeah, not only did this guy hit about four threes of his own, but he didn't. Let Golden State hit a single one. Now, you look at what Stephen Clay did. I mean, these two were 11 of 24 from Beyond the Arc. Stephen Clay were on one. 31 points for Curry, 25 points for Thompson. Did nothing when Marcus Smart was on them. Now, look, Marcus Smart can't guard everyone at once, right? At some point, Jalen Brown's got to play a little D. I know he had that one ferocious block, and I had Celtics fans telling me at the bar I was at, oh, what do you mean Jalen Brown doesn't play defense? Look at that block. You're crazy. No, Jalen Brown really doesn't play defense. Because the Warriors' guards were hitting threes all over the place. Now the Warriors have a lot of flaws in their game, and Draymond Green, uh, I'm looking on every telephone pole I can find on the side of the st- on the street corner. Draymond Green should be on a missing poster right now. Have you seen this man? But, but Steph Curry and Klay Thompson are hitting their shots. Game two, Jordan Poole was hitting his shots. No one's hitting shots when Marcus Smart is on them. So Jalen Brown, yeah, I'll stand by what I said last night that caught a lot of heat. At the bar, Jalen Brown needs to step it up a bit defensively. Also needs to play a full 48 minutes. Jalen Brown's been, this postseason, an all-time first-half performer. I think he had one game against the Heat where he was lights out third quarter. Outside of that, he's been a first-half, show-up, show-out, halftime, disappear-type character. Marcus Smart playing a full 48 and showing up at at the most, at his peak, in crunch time. I, I mean... I cannot stress enough, I cannot highlight enough that without Marcus Smart, the Boston Celtics squander that game three lead and the Warriors are probably up 2-1. Marcus Smart right now, and I know that there's a lot of basketball left. There's, There's probably four games left this series. I see this one going to seven. But Marcus Smart right now through three, he is the most valuable player for the Boston Celtics. You know who's not far behind? Rather, a couple guys who aren't far behind. How about the Williams boys? Robert Williams, Grant Williams. I mean, what Grant did coming off the bench, you know, six points, I believe he had four of them in like a two-minute span. Might have even been back-to-back buckets when the Celtics were starting to get a little shaky on offense. But Robert Williams. I mean, everything Draymond wishes he's been this series, and then some. You look at the night Robert Williams had 10 points, eight boards, absolutely ferocious on defense. Four blocks Three steals. Uh, I mean, Robert Williams, you know, the Celtics had seven blocks, seven steals. Williams had about half of each, right? He had seven combined. Uh, I mean, an absolute animal on both sides. I mean, both sides of the glass, both sides of the court. Robert Williams has shown up and shown out. Draymond Green, like I said, MIA. I, I mean, you look at Draymond Green in this game three. Two points, four rebounds three assists what kind of stat line is that for Draymond Green by the way he did nothing on defense and the cherry on top the icing on the cake fouled out in 35 minutes went what one of four from the floor uh, I mean you've got Draymond Green and Kevon Looney if you're the Golden State Warriors you've got two starters who can't buy a bucket when the Celtics forget Tatum and Jalen Brown and even Al Horford the Celtics You can argue the two best games from their starters were from the fourth and fifth most likely guys in Marcus Smart and Robert Williams. And yet, the Golden State Warriors, they've got nothing down low to answer those guys. Nothing to answer Robert Williams. Nothing to answer Al Horford. Horford had a stat line Draymond Green dreams of. What did Horford have? 11 points, 8 boards, 6 assists. That is a primetime NBA Finals Draymond Green stat line. Draymond hasn't done squat this entire series. I mean, game two, he was good. But Draymond needs to do a little less talking and a little more playing. Because right now, Steph Curry, I mean his ankle's about to snap because of the weight that he's carrying on his shoulders right now with this team. We'll look ahead to game four. We'll also get to a little baseball when we come back. So stick with me, Joe Seralo. You're locked into Seralo Sports Talk as part of the Believe Hour right here, right now on Sports Map Radio. All right, back here on Sorallo Sports Talk with me, Joe Sorallo. You're locked into the Believe Hour right here on SportsMap Radio as we approach about the halfway mark of the hour leading right into the New York Rangers and the Tampa Bay Lightning. I know that's about the third time that I've mentioned this game so far this show, and I haven't mentioned hockey once in the now two and a half months that I've been doing this weekly spot right here on Sports Map Radio. And there is a very special, very personal reason that I keep alluding to this Rangers Lightning Series. And I'm going to mention that in my final word. So make sure that you stick around for that. In the meantime, we've got David Tyree, New York Giants legend, Super Bowl 42 legend. He'll be joining the show in the next segment. But we've got a little baseball to get to and a quick preview of Game 4 of the NBA Finals. But... Before we finish talking about game three, which I spent the entirety of the last segment talking about, it is worth noting that my bashing of Draymond Green is not undeserved. First off, I have been a huge Draymond Green defender and supporter this postseason. It was a few episodes ago after the Warriors beat the Dallas Mavericks and Draymond Green Join the TNT crew, Chuck Shaq and them live right after the game in his sweats, in his warmups. That I supported Draymond Green. I said I absolutely loved it. Show your personality. Talk your smack. Do what you got to do. You played the game of a lifetime. You deserve to be up front, center stage. You walk the walk. You get to talk the talk. Draymond's doing a lot of talking the talk. He ain't walking the walk right now. In fact, game three of the NBA Finals last night, Draymond Green turned in less than five points, less than five rebounds, less than five assists in over 34 minutes played and fouled out. He became the first player in NBA Finals history to foul out, playing more than 34 minutes and scoring less than five points, grabbing less than five rebounds, dishing less than five assists. So Draymond wasn't just bad, In game three, Draymond was historically bad in game three. And if you're always going to be that guy, if you're going to be the guy who gets ejected from a basketball game and runs to his hotel room to grab a mic and talk crap about the refs and talk about the game and bash the officiating or your opponents, if you're going to be that guy, if you're going to be controversial, my problem isn't with him being controversial. It's with him being controversial and not backing it up. I mean, right now, P.J. Tucker, right now, looks a lot more valuable than Draymond Green. I mean, P.J. Tucker had a hell of a postseason for the Miami Heat. P.J. Tucker was a pest to these Boston Celtics. He left the Boston Celtics flustered in that seven-game set with Miami. Draymond Green, the only people he's leaving flustered are his teammates and the Warriors faithful. But, I'll tell you this, I'll give Draymond the benefit of the doubt I think he's going to have a big Game 4. Let's get into Game 4. I think the Golden State Warriors win Game 4. I'm going to say, and before I break down Game 4 and why I'm saying this, I'm going to say the Golden State Warriors win Game 4 and Game 5 back in the Bay Area. They lose Game 6. And just like my original prediction I gave out a week ago, the Warriors win this thing in 7. That's where I'm going to say this series is going. I think Draymond... Bounces back in a big way. I think we saw it last night in game three that Clay Thompson bounced back in a big way. Don't forget, Clay Thompson was nowhere to be found. Games one and two of this final series. Thompson, big game three. Had a bad first quarter, really came to life in the second, stayed hot, went, what, five of 13 from Beyond the Arc, had a cool 25 points. I mean, don't forget, Clay Thompson historically has been a hell of a finals performer. I mean, what he did against the Toronto Raptors, you know, he missed that one game due to injury. But Clay, in the five games that he played that series, shot lights out. And, you know, a lot of people want to talk about Steph, right? And they're going to bash him now and say, oh, in the 11 finals games uh, that he's played most recently without Kevin Durant, the Golden State Warriors are two and nine. Well, you know, Steph's playing great basketball this series. And Clay was nowhere to be found the first two games. Draymond's been nowhere to be found. Uh, I'm not going to say that this Warriors team is nothing without Kevin Durant. They were getting to the finals. They were winning finals before Durant got there. And now they're back without him. I think Clay is going to keep doing what he did in game three. Jordan Poole seems to be on the every other game prescription. So, you know, decent game three, 10 points. I think game four is going to look a lot more like game two did. And I think Draymond, after seeing the way he was embarrassed In game three, he doesn't take that lightly. I don't think Draymond Green likes being embarrassed. Draymond Green likes to talk his stuff. I don't think he's too pleased with how game three has gone, with how this whole series has gone from his end. When guys like Robert Williams, Al Horford, Grant Williams, Marcus Smart, when those ancillary pieces on the Celtics are doing their thing and showing up and showing out, I don't think Draymond likes to be excluded from that conversation. I think the Golden State Warriors are going to have a big Game 4. I think it's going to be the closest game this series because God knows this entire postseason, this entire series, we haven't had too many good games. It's been a lot of blowouts, a lot of bad basketball. I think Game 4 is going to be the closest game. And I think in a close game, advantage the team that's been there before, advantage Golden State Warriors. Let's flip this over and talk a little baseball because we're, we're approaching... The time in the season where things are heating up. You know, obviously hockey, you're in the conference finals. Right now, the NBA, we've got, if this goes to seven games, we've got 10 more days of NBA basketball left this calendar season. Baseball's heating up. We've already had two managers canned from teams that expected to contend this season in the last week. Joe Girardi, gone from Philadelphia, and these two teams that fired their really highly respected managers could not be going in opposite directions since the firings. Since Joe Girardi has been booted from Philadelphia, the Phillies have rattled off six straight wins. Reese Hoskins is all of a sudden hitting the ball. Kyle Schwarber is crushing the ball. Bryce Harper's doing what Bryce Harper's doing, and that's just performing like an MVP player. I mean, look, make no mistake about it. I cannot stand Bryce Harper. What he's doing this year, given the fact especially that he probably needs Tommy John surgery, is absolutely incredible. And this is probably the most I've ever respected him throughout his career. Because this man should probably not be playing baseball. And he is still, even when he can't play the field, he is still raking. He is still tearing the cover off the ball. So on one hand, you've got the Philadelphia Phillies. They can Girardi, who admittedly, couple of years ago, I was dying for my New York Mets to hire. Now, look, we've obviously gotten that one right, Buck Showalter. Welcome to New York again. How you doing? I was dying for the Mets to hire Girardi. And he was an absolute unmitigated disaster during his tenure in Philadelphia. Team year in, year out. Worst defense in baseball. Couldn't get on base to save their lives. Certainly had some pop. But, you know, a team built with four DHs. And now mainly, you know, I got to be honest. Uh, the structure of that roster, that's mainly a Dombrowski problem. And he's not going anywhere. So I'll cut Girardi a little slack there. But poor management of the bullpen. I mean, defense to an extent can be coached. And for a guy who was a defensive specialist at the catcher position his whole life, that's the only position Philly looks good on, in, on defense. JT Realmuto behind the dish. The Phillies defense for three years now. There's been nothing done to improve it. And I'm sorry, when when you keep running out the same... Awful defense, night in and nine out for three years. To me, that has to do with the coaching a little bit. I mean, for one season, yeah, you could say, ah, oh, the roster just wasn't it defensively. Three years, no progress. That speaks to the coaching. So Girardi's out, the Phillies are suddenly winning, and Joe Maddon's out, and the Angels are still losing. The Los Angeles Angels, I said it earlier. I mean, 27-17 and 17 turned 27-17. And 31. They have one last game with the Red Sox down in Anaheim tonight. That's coming up in about two hours. And then they host my New York Mets for a weekend three-game set. I can't wait. The Mets get Tyler McGill back tomorrow night, Friday night. I'll be at that game. Might be going Sunday as well because, you know, the Mets get a chance to face Noah Syndergaard on Sunday night baseball. And who the hell would want to miss that? Noah Syndergaard hasn't been able to get an out ever since he made fun of the Mets' combined no-hitter against Philly back in early May. Five pitchers, no-hit the Phillies. Syndergaard said it wasn't a real no-hitter, and since then has a cool ERA of over six. Gotta love to see that when the guy leaves. That's gonna be a great game. I'm expecting fireworks this series. Now, I need two out of three from my Mets, because, you know, I said it last week, going into the Dodgers series, going into this road trip, I was, I was expecting six and four, but I said I can live with five and five. Five and five, I don't care if you're the best team in baseball or if you're the worst team in baseball. Five and five, when you go on an opposite coast road trip, is a successful road trip. There are a few things harder to do in sports than to fly across the country and win games. And the Mets split. They were underdogs every game at the LA Dodgers. They went down 2-0 to start that series. Got shut out for the first time this season. By the way, the 30th and final team to be shut out for the first time this year. And they came back, they won game three, they won game four in extra innings. Then they won a third in a row, went to San Diego and hit for a cycle. By the way, here's a note on the Mets. Last time the Mets threw a no-hitter was the first time in franchise history, 2012, Johan Santana. That was also the most recent cycle. So 10 years later, the Mets get another no-hitter, the Mets get another cycle. I mean, offensive fireworks, those three games in a row that they won. And then they dropped the last two in San Diego. But in that middle game, Hugh Darvish hits three of the first five batters, hits Pete Alonso on the hand. He didn't play the rest of that game or the final game in San Diego. Starling Marte left game two with an injury. So the Mets dropped two to San Diego, the second and third games of that set, with no Alonso, no Marte. And, you know, as I've already mentioned, as I've already talked about, no DeGrom, no Scherzer at all right now. You know, it's like, I'm not worried in the slightest. You know, you look at that San Diego Padres lineup. I welcome the San Diego Padres to come to Queens, to come to New York in October. Because that lineup, outside of Machado, Hosmer, and when he's back in healthy Tatis, that's a weak lineup. I think the way the Mets have played on this West Coast road trip has been nothing short of sensational. And I can't wait. To see how the rest of the season goes. When we come back, New York Giants legend, Super Bowl 42 hero, David Tyree is joining me. Don't go anywhere. You're locked into Serralo Sports Talk with me, Joe Serralo, right here on Sports Map Radio. We're back here on Serralo Sports Talk. And joining me now on the show, he is not only a Super Bowl 42 champion, but he is the Super Bowl 42 hero. It is New York Giants legend, David Tyree. David, thanks so much for joining the show. Um, and I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks for having me, bud. Of course. You know, this is absolutely incredible for me. You know, I mentioned it to you, of course, before we started recording this that I was nine years old when Super Bowl 42 took place. So you are single-handedly responsible for most, I would say of my childhood joy as a New York sports fan, man. So again, thanks for taking the time to come on. Now you're here with a fantastic cause. You're here with the NFL's fatherhood festival. This will be taking place next weekend, father's day weekend in Canton, Ohio, at the NFL Hall of Fame Village. Tell us a little bit about this great cause and what you're looking to accomplish along with several other NFL legends next weekend.
1: Well, man, I'm I'm really excited about the entire weekend. It's a weekend that's truly built around families. It's a weekend, of course, built for impact, but it's experiential, it's immersive. Um, you know, Jordan Davis, country singers, of course, tons of former and maybe even a possible couple of, you know, current uh, NFL athletes, but it's really just about the family and the centerpiece of that, how how meaningful that is and the role that the father can play and uh, and, and continue to bring impact to that family unit and stability. So I'm a father of seven. I obviously got some experience and uh, <laughs> definitely put my work in and I'm excited to not just be a part of, but a participant.
0: You know, David, right there, I've got to stop and ask, how do you balance being a father of seven with being an NFL player? I mean, how many kids did you have while you were in the league? That, that sounds like it's a challenge, man.
1: Yeah, I think when it, my last season in the NFL, my fifth child was born. So I had, you know, actually right after I retired, he was born, or right as I retired. So you know, I had a couple, couple more a, a, after. I maybe I looked too much time on my hands, right? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, and, and we, we bottomed out at seven. And honestly, there, balance is something that I think um, I call it. It's it's real, but it's a little overrated. And I think that we have to be responsible. We have to be, you know. Um, ferocious in our goals. And I think when we have the right intents and motives, everything settles in a way where you actually have some contentment in life. So I, I, my family's a huge priority, but of course I'm working to ensure that they have the greatest experience um, that life would afford them.
0: Well, you know, you talk about being ferocious with your goals and you seem like a real goal oriented person. You've got a lot of things in the works right now. And one of them is your new show, the Catch the Moment podcast. I believe you just dropped episode eight this morning, right?
1: I did. We actually, it was just a solo episode, uh, just giving these guys some wisdom on transition. It was a fun one. A little shorter, you know, our interviews get a little long, but um, they're awesome. Just great guests, great content, and taking everybody through with the process, the journey, and the pain points that delivers everybody to their moment of success.
0: Yeah, so exactly. Dive a little more into that into that show of yours. What exactly, you know, about the journey are you looking to relay to the audience? What are you looking to really? get out of this? And how are you looking to change people's lives by them tuning in?
1: Yeah, I think we we have to normalize some difficulties, right? We have to normalize adversity in a way where, when it comes, we're not shocked by it. We're actually prepared and fueled to overcome that hurdle. And I think that any person who has achieved something significant, and I think success is always subjective, or even had that moment of success, there's been some adversity, there's been some pain points, So, what a, you know, I think we want to unearth the the journey in a way where we can value the the experience that delivers us to our goals, our in place that will bring us that measure of satisfaction
0: and make it all worth it. Well, David, you know what it's like to really step up uh, when you're least expecting it. We'll get to the catch in just a minute, but I do want to remind everyone that this is Super Bowl 42 hero David Tyree joining me on Serralo Sports Talk. And this interview is brought to you by our terrific partners at BetOnline. Now, David, let's get to the catch. Uh, Because, you know, without that catch, my childhood is substantially worse. So (laughs) if you'll allow me, you know, truthfully speaking, when I think of that catch, I think that just as impressive as your catch itself was Eli breaking, what was it, three sacks just to get that ball (laughs) off. Now, as that thing is wobbling your way in midair, I have to know what's going through your mind. I got
1: to have it. You know, so of course, any Giants fan knows that my opportunities were few and far as an all pro special teamer, but I had to fight and claw for every little opportunity I got, every crumb. Only had four catches during the regular season that year. So that's my mind. You know, I was always prepared because I knew I would have few opportunities. And, you know, that was really it. You know, he gave me the opportunity. I'm locked in on it. It was literally like a lock it, like a torpedo system locking in. And I mentally prepared myself for some for some, you know, for, for some contact. So that I didn't know the ball was on my head, but I definitely knew I caught it. And, you know, it it was something that paid off well for both of us.
0: Yeah. I love that. Some contact. That's pretty modest right there. (laughs) Uh, Was that not blatant pass interference on Rodney? I mean, if you don't make that catch, do you think it gets called?
1: I'll be honest with you. I don't know. I think it was probably played as best as you could play football. He got there. Almost synonymous, synonymously, is when the ball got there, as far as what I can remember, and I think that's what makes it so amazing. Is everything was done the right way for that play not to happen. I mean, like for that, from start to finish, the offensive lineman blocked no one. <laughs> Eli is probably the most sackable quarterback in the NFL, <laughs> and I'm the least likely guy to be tossed up in the fourth quarter. And I got a 31 inch vert. I'm the black man who can't jump.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Holy crap, man. I have a better vertical than that.
1: You do, like everybody does. It's fantastic. (laughs) But, you know, I think that's, like I said, that's what these moments are made for. It's uh, it's definitely a made for movie moment. I was glad to be a recipient of something that was so far beyond me that means so much to so many people.
0: Yeah, it, it was absolutely incredible. Hey, now, what about later on that drive? Uh, I mean, you know, you, you told me what's going through your mind when the ball's in the air headed your way. What about forget when, when the catch is made, but when you see Plaxico in no man's land in the end zone, Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, were you able to contain yourself or what's going on in that moment, man?
1: Everything, you know, like this, this couldn't be like, you, you're partially like this is happening and then it's not, happened until it's until it's over right mm-hmm. the, so I think in my head is we fully expected to execute we executed I couldn't believe I had the role that I have and I didn't see the play until I actually got back to the hotel so I just knew I made the biggest catch in my moment but until the game's over there's nothing like and then Tom Brady is heaving the ball down the field so I mean those were like three three four terrifying throws yeah you know, <laughs> soccer with Jay Alford sack it was like oh you know so <laughs> I mean, honestly, we, we felt like we were a team that were built for that moment, built to take down the, one of the greatest teams the NFL has ever seen. And like I said, I was, I was amazed and fortunate,
0: blessed by God, to have a role in it. Absolutely, man. You know, I, I've spent a lot of time rewatching games from that season, talking to people about that season. About three years ago, I, I uh, had one of my favorite interviews, sat down with Bob Papa and David Deal simultaneously, and they told me about that bus ride Uh, or rather the bus rides all week in London when you guys were playing the Dolphins had the team really came together, but week 17, when new England beats us 38, 35, did you know in that moment after playing them tougher than anyone had all season? Did you know, if we see these guys again, we're gonna, we're gonna do the job.
1: I certainly had all the belief in the world, you know, like it was bone crushing that we didn't win that game Mm -hmm. in our mind. You know, from start to finish, we just knew we had it. And I think they were really that good. You know, the Randy Moss play at the end of the game, they were just really that good. And it was bone crushing that we didn't get it. Our skipper set us up. We said, we're going to play this game. Everybody's up. And that's what we wanted. And I think it definitely positioned us. It didn't deflate us. It positioned us because we knew that we had the resolve to go on the road and take down those teams. And it was just really about execute we had a dynamic team from from top to bottom everything's perfect in, in 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 hindsight but from the from the leadership to the to the emerging figures that rookie draft class and the role players it was all about the synergy that we were developing from start to finish
0: and, and you know going into that week 17 game look i'll just say off the bat i've defended tom coughlin my entire life i think he's one of the greatest head coaches ever in the NFL. And and I noticed, you know, even with this interview, you were two minutes early and, you know, that's Coughlin. If you're not early, you're late. And, (laughs) uh, uh, you know, a lot of guys in Jacksonville complain about him. Oh, he's too much of a hard ass, too much of a disciplinarian. It's football. That's what you need. And were you guys surprised? What was your reaction when you found out, despite having the playoff you know, position locked up, what was your reaction when you found out starters were going in that week 17 game? He took a lot of criticism for that.
1: Real dogs want to eat. You know, real dogs want to eat. And I think that's that was our reaction. I don't think we were surprised because we began to understand who our coach was. And when I think about, and I understand there's every situation is not the same, but you play games, games are played to win. We know that there's a lot of learning lessons. You know, every game that you play, whether it's Twister, whether it's Monopoly, or of course, something as strategic and amazing as football, the whole object of the game is to win it. So, you know, we can get into all of our data analytics and semantics and every other way that there's, you know, useful decisions to be made. But this was one of those easy decisions for us and the character of our team and what we wanted to have. And we wanted to take out the best team that the National Football League had that year. We missed the mark there, but we got to win a
0: Absolutely, man. I'd rather win the Super Bowl than win that Week 17 game (laughs) any day of the week. Hey, I want to ask you about the following season. Now, I know that 2008 for you personally was not a great year. You were injured, missed the season. But I want to ask about that Giants team because Mm -hmm. I've been told on the record from other guys who played in the league that the 2008 Giants, despite winning Super Bowl 42 the year before, 46 three years later, I've been told the 08 Giants were the best Giants team, was the best Giants team rather, that a lot of these guys have ever faced. And, you know, I, I need you to keep it real with me here, man if Plaxico, if that whole situation doesn't go down, if he doesn't shoot himself and miss the rest of the season, are the Giants the most recent team, not the 0304 3 4 Patriots, to repeat?
1: I, I would I would have to say absolutely. Mm-hmm. I can remember, and obviously I missed the whole season, so I'm looking from the outside in, and I'm, I'm in and around, but it's definitely not the same when you're in that position. But I remember the Baltimore Ravens game, and this is a slugfest. These are two teams that are built like each other. And we gave the Ravens the business and that's, I'm talking about, you know, that's the game where you're, when you're measuring who you are and from, from, from every area, it was a physical game. It was everything that you expected, but we gave them the business, got the W and that's like, I'm like, man, these guys, these guys, they're on the belief was there. There was no question about our ability to execute. It was just unfortunate that, you know, the incidents occur and they couldn't seal the deal.
0: Yeah, I mean, that team was just – and, you know, you talk about 07, a lot of people highlight the defense, of course. 08, I mean, that offense was zooming. That team just was clicking on all cylinders. It was – you know, didn't miss a beat after Strahan retired. It it really would have been something to see that team at full health come the postseason. Hey, you know, you're one of the few guys around that locker room who was there pre-Eli and got to watch him not only develop – but also Blossom. You were there pre-Eli, won a Super Bowl with Eli. Not too many guys. I mean, who? You, Amani. uh, Not too many guys can say that. Yes. What was watching that development like for you up close?
1: It was painful the first couple of years.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love it.
1: (laughs) It was painful because I think my third season was when I, and I was his second season, was when I won the third wide receiver position out of training camp. And, you know, and chemistry and the clicking just wasn't there. He just hadn't, Got quite there, and he was all, the talent wasn't the issue. It was just chemistry uh, and belief, I think. You know, like, and and I think it was a lot of different factors. In my personal opinion, he was the guy for the for the Giants franchise to accomplish what he did. You know, and, but my personal opinion also, he he needed some of those pillars in place to to reach his full potential. He needed that strong offensive line to be in his place. He wasn't a guy that could just immediately shift the trajectory and change everything about it it was he was the guy for a really solid giants football team he was the guy that new york city when cave cave his his sense of productivity and identity and that's the amazing part about him but he did blossom
0: as the right tools
1: were put in place
0: he, he absolutely did you know david i i could continue this conversation for days but we've got to wrap this up i know you're a busy man thank you so much for your time for joining the show
1: appreciate you for having me chair.
0: Super Bowl 42 hero David Tyree will be back on this episode of Sorallo Sports Talk with my final word. All right, we're back here on Sorallo Sports Talk with me, Joe Sorallo. It's time for my final word to wrap up this hour that we're spending together right here as part of the Believe Hour on Sports Map Radio. And what a sensational spot. Special thanks to Super Bowl 42 hero David Tyree for joining the show. I mean, I swear I could go on for another hour with him and just listen to stories of those 07 Giants and you know that miraculous playoff run that was really the the peak of my football fandom back when I was a kid but you know I've alluded to this several times throughout the episode I do want to close on a more personal note the New York Rangers and the Tampa Bay Lightning are all set for puck drop in about five minutes and the reason that this game is so big for me because I admittedly am am not a huge hockey fan, is because on Sunday, just five days ago, my uncle passed away. And my uncle was a diehard Yankees fan, Rangers fan, Giants fan, just like myself, and Knicks fan. Shared a lot of great memories watching sports, talking about sports, arguing about sports with my uncle. And he listened to this show almost every week, every time I was on, and it just wouldn't feel right to finish the episode without mentioning him and without acknowledging him. And I told my uncle Larry, Larry Sorala was his name. I told him that, you know, I would never, nothing could ever bring me to root for the Yankees. And while he's watching from above now, he's a diehard Yankee fan, enjoying the fact that his Yankees have the best record in baseball. I cannot hop on the Yankees bandwagon. But What I am doing for the first time in my life is rooting like hell for those New York Rangers for my uncle. So, puck drops in about five minutes. Rangers-Lightning game five. I've never done this before, but for the first time in my life, in my uncle's honor, I'll say it right now. Let's go, Rangers. Uncle Larry, fly high. Rest in peace. And just like that, this episode of Serralo Sports Talk is up. It's over. It's out of here. Special thanks one last time to David Tyree. Special thanks to all of you for spending the hour with me, Joe Sorallo, right here as part of the Believe Hour on Sports Map Radio.
1: Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.